Welcome back to In the Know. I'm Luke Diamond. I'm Tiffany Bowie. And we have a very important update for our listeners. So last week, we unfairly roasted an individual who posted in the class of 2021 page that he very understandably lost his right AirPod. But we have good news. Owen has found his AirPod. Owen found his AirPod. We thought there was no way because he said he lost it somewhere on a large portion of campus. And we thought there's no way anybody's going to find it. But we have received news that Owen listened to our podcast and has found his AirPod. And we are now putting our feet in our mouths. Yes. um, The wonderful heroes at Facilities Management found the tiny thing. Yep. So shout out to Facilities Management and shout out to Owen. You have apologies from us for jumping to conclusions. And I'm very glad that you can now once again listen to music with both ears and listen to us with both ears. If you'll deign to forgive us for our ignorance. Let's get to Hardlands. Yeah, let's. The pronoun policy is back. A new draft of the controversial legislation was discussed at a university senate meeting on Thursday. An early draft of the policy, which proposed disciplinary action for university members who misgender students and professors, angered free speech defenders last summer. That section was removed in January. The updated policy will receive a Senate vote in May and require a two-thirds majority to pass. President-designate Joan Gable announced in her first campus-wide email this week that she will begin her search for a vice president and provost this month. She said that she expects to select someone before the end of fall semester. The vice president and provost will oversee the university's academic missions and budgetary affairs. Vice President Karen Hansen has said she will step down at the end of the year. A bill designed to protect students and other vulnerable renters passed the state House of Representatives this week. Drafted by the University of Minnesota student government, the bill will require landlords to present the length of a lease on the lease's front page. The goal is to help first-time renters and international students better understand their leases. The bill is expected to be approved by the Senate and passed later this year. At a press conference in the Garden of Eden Islamic Cemetery in Burnsville, a line of Somali mothers gathered holding signs that said, For Hoyo, or For Mothers. With grim, determined faces, they stood behind Abdurrahman Mukhtar, community organizer, as he spoke to the media. Our young people have two things in common. They all love their mothers. We also buried them right next to each other at this cemetery, right here. So why don't you tell me where this story begins? Okay, so it begins kind of, it it kind of begins with um, a shooting on February 19th in front of the Cedar Cultural Center, um, where a man was shot in the back. Um, And then a few weeks later, there was a triple shooting in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood on March 1st. Um, that resulted in the death of a 17-year-old resident of the neighborhood. A spate of high-profile shootings has rocked Cedar Riverside in recent months. Community members are clamoring for change from the city, from each other, and from their children. Mohammed Ibrahim, the Daily's Cops and Courts reporter, spoke to several residents following the shootings. What was it about these recent incidences that spurred the community to mobilize so quickly this time around? Um, I think it was... One, how close they were together, and two, um, the how young the the victim was of the shooting, um, and it just brought back 
um, all the memories of people who've been killed in the neighborhood, like going going back years. So I think the how close they were together was what caused the community to say that we finally had enough. Like we need to do something about this. Fartoon Dell has owned Seagal Restaurant, which is one block away from where the triple shooting took place for 15 years. On top of that, she's a mother. In the midst of a brewing April snowstorm, she told me she had 20 minutes to talk before she had to go pick up her daughter from school. Word about the March 1st shooting reached Fartoon when she was at home. Her first thoughts in these times usually are, Who got shot? Do I know that person? And if I see police around here, like two or three squad, my heart will sink. I felt like some, something bad happened or even see the side comes ambulance. I say it's like, what happened? What's going on? Mothers are a driving force in the issue of youth violence, and Fartoon is part of the Somali Mothers Group in Cedar Riverside. The coalition demanded solutions from Minneapolis police in the days after the teen's death, whose name was Abdiwasa Farah. And what have you asked of your city officials, and how have they responded? To take a close look, to see what's going on. Is the resource being used wisely? Uh, this resource reflecting the community in need? All that questions. They responded by changing the shifts of the two Somali beat officers who were assigned to the area in February. Um, they were predominantly working morning, mornings, um, but their shifts were moved to afternoon evenings because the, the community's rationale was that's when most of the crime happens. The violent incidents don't happen in the morning, so why are these officers working there in the mornings? Um, they're also, or the Minneapolis Police Department's also adding two mounted officers um, in early May who will work weekend nights. The decision to increase police presence in Cedar Riverside is controversial. Many business owners are its primary supporters. A lot of them said that when the neighborhood that their business is in is seen as unsafe. Um, they say that customers are unwilling to come to their businesses and that affects their livelihoods. But many other residents disagree. Other community members aren't, necess- aren't partial to the idea of increasing the police presence in the area. Um, they, they think that it's the community's responsibility to help get youth and young people off the streets like by providing them educational and recreational activities. Although Fartoon is a business owner, she also agrees that improving community resources is a more effective solution than ratcheting police presence. She pushes for more things for kids to do. A place to shoot hoops, a place that's engaging and welcoming. Fartoon said the existing Brian Coyle Center, the local community center, just isn't doing enough. Its limited hours are not accessible, and people aren't coming in as often. When you close the center for 4 p.m. Saturdays, you're not helping the community at all because Saturday, 4 p.m., where should kids going to go? What are they going to do? A few of the young people that I've spoken to, um, specifically a couple of U of M students um, who grew up in the area, would walk to school, um, they think that adding more police creates tension um, in the neighborhood, like between um, residents who might not have the best Um, relationship with police officers. Um, One person I spoke to said that um, police get called just for people hanging out, like just standing on around the neighborhood together. 
um, and being labeled as suspicious persons by business owners who don't necessarily know the, these kids who live in the neighborhood. At the heart of these conflicting solutions are the teenagers looking for something to do. They're second-generation Somali, and many navigate America with a familiarity their parents do not. My name is Kosar Muhammad. I'm a current second year at the Humphrey School in the Masters of Urban and Regional Planning program. Kosar is a fashionable graduate student with thoughts about almost any topic under the sun I could lob at her. As a kid, the U of M was literally her backyard. So living in the Cedarside neighborhood was the most exciting thing, and it still is, I think, but especially growing up there as, like, a teen was very like it was it's very rare to explain this to people or and have like something to relate with because a lot of folks are like I've never experienced that you know like we had barbecues we had neat like um, national night out which happens in various different neighborhoods as well but for us it was expansive right. Kosar co-founded the youth council which created a coffee kiosk to give youth in the community a job when unemployment rates were skyrocketing. This neighborhood is her turf. She's had friends with siblings who died from gun violence. When people see the effects of youth violence, the first thing they label it as, like, it's a crime, right? So most people's gut instinct would be to address that with policing. Um, Where does policing fit into, like, your vision of what Cedar Riverside needs? For me personally, I don't see police being at the forefront of this conversation. I see community being the forefront of this conversation. I think the community has more than enough of the ability to... um, recognize for themselves what their challenges are, what their assets are. And I think it, most importantly, community needs to be provided the opportunity to figure out a lot of these issues for themselves, right? Like a lot of people are dealing with a lot of post-traumatic stress, a lot of different issues. They've lost siblings, they've lost, you know, friends. And I don't think there has been spaces created for youth, for parents to heal. For Kosar, this discussion about resources and improvements is just another run around the block. I've had to have these conversations as a youth in the community, so I don't think that any of the things that are being introduced are new methods. I don't think they're new approaches. I think it's just for a newer generation of kids that are in the neighborhood that are dealing with the same issues that we were dealing with a couple years back. But as Kosar and Fartun know, change comes in degrees and victory in inches. The youth are now have a sympathy for the mothers, and I think I have some videos, some youth are saying that you guys are right, we should not do this. That is why a group of bereft Somali mothers gathered at the Garden of Eden Islamic Cemetery in Burnsville to protest gun violence, so that hopefully other mothers won't have to. It's very sad seeing how a grave will look like, and I've never been to a grave, so this is like a new experience, but it's like, very sad to see how much people die in like a year. I've seen very like a lot of 2018 and 2017. That's very soon. I didn't see 2019 yet because people stones aren't made yet. This is your first time at a cemetery. Yeah, this is my first time ever. I'm creeped out, but I thought I thought like if there's like I thought you know the place. It would be like a hole next to it. That's what I thought. Like, you know, you see in movies or cemeteries, people go to them and then you see little holes and people fall in it. That's what I thought. But, you know, I was very creeped out when I came. But now that I know this is where everybody's going to end up.
In the Know is produced by me, Luke Diamond, and is reported by my co-host, Tiffany Bui. Our intro music is by J.D. Duggan. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.